praises of our, of our church family, the praises of God's people as we sing together, as we worship our Lord together. I've had the opportunity over the last couple of days uh, to preach in different places. I was over in Zebulun uh, just uh, for really the beginning of, of last week. Got an opportunity to go over to Hales Chapel Baptist Church. Notice you got it land that long A. <laughs> Hales. Hales. Okay. Um, I didn't preach any other place. But Hales Chapel Baptist Church. And it was wonderful being there. Uh, there was actually a gathering of, I believe it was six churches that gathered together. They do this every year over there. Uh, um, and obviously their churches aren't aren't very large or little little teeny country churches and got to go over there and uh, as, as, as much as I wanted to be an encouragement to them uh, I don't know if they really understood how much of an encouragement they were to me uh, just seeing this this group of, of fellow believers uh, laughing together worshiping together praising the Lord together and even committing together as a group of churches to serve that, that community there. Uh, it was so cool to hear them talk about how they were going to meet with the, uh, with the school there and how they were uh, uh, hoping to uh, get into the community and build friendships with their neighbors and so on, specifically for gospel opportunities. And that was just so much fun to hear them dream and brainstorm out loud about how uh, they wanted to uh, reach their community for the gospel of Christ. And it made me really, really thankful for us here at TCC. Uh, even just as, as you heard from, from Sean and Sean, uh, which sounds like a, a legal company. But uh, it, it, was, it was great to hear, you know, just the, 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 um, the dreams that we have as a church. We don't just want to sit here, right? I mean, you know, we, we could sit here. And we could just bask in the wonders and the glories of our Savior, but it just seems wrong, doesn't it? You know, that, that we would sit here and enjoy all of this goodness to ourselves and not go and, and share this with other people, not go and tell as many people as we possibly can, not not go all the way through our neighborhoods and even through the nations with this good news. It's really hard to look on the news. It's really hard to turn on the TV and see what's going on in Raleigh, what's going on in Durham, what's going on in the neighboring towns and cities and communities, and, and what's going on even internationally. It's really hard to sit and watch all of that and know we are sitting on the news that could change everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. We have that opportunity. And so I'm so grateful for us as a church uh, that we likewise dream. How can we take the gospel farther? How can we impact more people with the good news of Christ? How can we spread this, this great news of the love of God in Christ Jesus to our neighbors and to the nations? And so I pray that you would join in, uh, that you would dream with us, and that you would go with us on mission uh, to take this gospel uh, as far as the Lord would have us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And when you're there, say I'm there. I'm there. there. Alright. Romans chapter 9. Beginning of verse 30. Hear the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed. 
in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone. That was actually the easy paragraph. 
in Romans 9. Um, and so I got to sit with my popcorn uh, watching Sean and, and Travis preach the hard parts again. And, and But as I was doing so, I was awakened again to just how marvelously, as, as, uh, as Travis would say, how, how, how wild and free our God is. This is the God who saves. This is the God who changes lives. This is the God who does, as Psalm 115 and Psalm 135 would say, whatever he pleases. All right? God is able to do whatever he pleases. He answers to nobody. That's hard for us. That's really, really hard for us because we, as Americans, are taught almost from birth that the customer is always what? Right, right. Yeah, the customer is always right. And so if you don't like the way things are run in an establishment, you just go over to the manager and say, I'd like to see the manager. And you see that manager and you say, I don't like the way this establishment is being run. And the, uh, the, the manager has a couple options. Okay, The manager can, can lose your business. But of course, the manager wants your business. And so the manager will say, okay, whatever you say, whatever you say, just don't cause a, a, a commotion and everything. Please don't start some trending hashtag, you know, or something like that. Don't take any pictures, you know, of everything that was bad and post it on Yelp, you know, or anything. Whatever you say, whatever you say, whatever you say. And we just kind of get accustomed to this spoiled world that we live in, right? We're always right. We're never wrong. Everything that we think is good is good. Everything we think is wrong is wrong. And then we come face to face with the living God. And we realize that God actually doesn't answer to us for anything. God is God. He is the creator. He is the potter and you are the clay. He is the one who accomplishes his purposes in the world. He is the one who does, as we already said, whatever he pleases. So we run up to this in chapter 9. And, and, and I, I was in, it was interesting as I was reading this. I was thinking through the chapter and just hearing all that, uh, that Paul had said. So let's, let's do a little bit of a review here. Uh, he, he talks about how he wishes that his people, uh, his kinsmen according to the flesh, uh, would be saved. He says that, uh, that in the negative sense, I wish that I were cursed for their sake, and I would be cut off from Christ for their sake in verse 3 of chapter 9. But we see in chapter 10, verse 1, that it is prayer that they would be saved. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. But that poses a question. Israel is not saved. So what's up with all the stuff you just said in chapter 8, Paul? Because in chapter 8, you ended with this grand crescendo, right? Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Yeah! We love it. Let's go in the love of Jesus. And here's somebody in the back of the hall going, what about Israel? Right? What about Israel? If nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, then how can you say, Paul, in verse 3, that you wish that you could be cut off for the sake of your brothers, i.e., I wish that I could take their place, which means they're cut off. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Israel is separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What's up with that? So all the promises of the Old Testament, all the covenants, everything that they have received, all of that has just been wiped out. God just hit delete all on everything. We got a problem. How do we reconcile nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, and Israel is cut off from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? What, 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 how do we reconcile this? And Paul's argument is tough. And we've seen it already as we've gone through Romans 9. But it's beautiful. Yeah. Once we get to chapter 11, where Paul wraps up this entire argument, I hope that all of us can sit back and go, just like Paul does in verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That's one of the greatest ways that you can worship God. Did you know that? 
And now all of a sudden, you are not crying for justice. You're crying for mercy. Right? This is so quiet. Am I the only one that has stories? Y'all got some stories, right? Yeah, you know what it's like to need mercy. You know what it's like as a student to be late on an assignment. Trust me, I know. <laughs> yeah, the prom life is tough. Uh, I've had it where there have been folks that have come to me the week of an assignment, an assignment that was in the syllabus that they received on the first day. Right? And then they, they come over and they, they shoot an email to me or something like that to say, Professor Locke, um, so I, I, I didn't, I didn't, no, 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 don't say that. You do on the first day. Okay, uh, well, I, I, I've been busy, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the whole planet's been busy, says that. Um, yeah, yeah, well, oh, just, can, can I just have like a little extension, you know, or, or something like that and everything? If I give an extension, of course, there may be some classmates that go, that's not fair, but the one who receives the extension never complains. Hmm. Mercy. That's not fair. I give mercy to men. Please, I give mercy to whomever I show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. There's a flip side of that point, too. Verse 17. The Lord says to, uh, to Moses concerning Pharaoh, he says, I want you to say this to Pharaoh. For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So that he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. The hardening there, uh, just to clarify, as, as we've already heard over the last couple of weeks, but the hardening there is not a hardening in the sense of there's this person who really, really, really wants to come to Jesus, who really, really, really wants the mercy of God, who really, really, really is hoping, and God looks at that person and says, No. You will never find that in the scriptures. Everyone, as we'll see later on in chapter 10, uh, in the weeks to come, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. No, this is about a person with zero desire to come to faith in Jesus. Zero desire to follow the Lord. Zero desire. He, he is already hardened to the reality of the, the God who is. And, and God says, rather than soften your heart, I'm going to solidify you. I'm going to harden you in your rejection. Why? Because, Pharaoh, I'm going to use you to show the whole world the kind of God that I am. So he has mercy on those who he wills, and he hardens those who he wills, as Paul says in verse 18. And of course, there are people that are like, well, why is he still my fault? I mean, you know, if he's just going around having mercy and hardening and all of that, we're just kind of, we're just robots in the system. You know, we're just all, you know, we're just another brick in the wall. You know, and so that's what we are. So, so what, what's the purpose of all of this? And that's where, as I said before, you see there in verse 21, has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same, uh, out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? In other words, you have no right to tell God how he should run the world. God is God. And you are not. And that is good. <laughs> right? And so we trust him with the mystery. We trust him. And, and, and we, we accept it, even though it's hard to accept. We believe that God knows what he's doing. And we trust that what he's doing is good. Okay? Now, here's what I didn't recognize until I started reading this over again. I just stopped and thought, who would be tracking with Paul up until this point? And who would take offense to this? And it dawned on me. I don't think that the Jewish hearers of Romans 9 would have had any problem with anything that Paul has said thus far. Because everything that he's saying is everything that they believe about them. This is their story, right? God 
shows the children of Abraham. They're not in their heads. Yes, he did. And he didn't choose the line of Ishmael. He chose the line of Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I get it. This is true. Right? This is the reason for so much of our Middle Eastern conflict. You know? Judaism and Islam. Fighting it out. Duking it out. All of that. That goes all the way back to Ishmael and Isaac. Mm-hmm. All right? So they're going, yeah, we get it. We get it. Yeah. We're the children of the promise. Good job, Paul. And, and, and not Esau, but, but Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. And we're descendants from the 12 sons. That's us. Yeah. He, he, he has mercy on whom he has mercy. Yes. That's why he delivered us from Egypt. He hardens those who he hardens. Yeah. That's why Pharaoh got it. He got it good. Right? I mean, the whole time, they're going, yes. Yes. We totally believe. God is free to do whatever he wants. God is, uh, God is the sovereign God working his purposes, accomplishing everything. And, and, and then you get to where he talks in verse 23, or uh, 22, and everything starts to change. Look what he says. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. Who are the vessels of wrath? Yeah, we know who the vessels of wrath are. Who are the vessels of mercy? We know, of course, who the vessels of mercy are. Even, verse 24, us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Jewish person reading this, I'm going, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? 
Paul is going in our passage today. How could this happen? Well, how could it happen? It happened because Israel essentially went on what I call a trivial pursuit. They thought that they could get the righteousness of God just simply by being good Jewish boys and good Jewish girls. They thought that they had the one-up on all of society just simply because of who they are. And by the way, please understand, they're not alone in all of this. They're just the most obvious, biblically speaking. But there are many of us that fall into the same trap. There are many of our neighbors that are falling into the same trap who think that just because they were born American, just because they were born in the Bible Belt, just because they were born in a house that's got 10, 15 Bibles sitting all over the place collecting dust, I shouldn't have said that, they probably read them every once in a while, but, but, but many of them are collecting dust. And, and, and because they know the words to Amazing Grace, and, and they know the words to God Bless America, that they somehow have received this, this one-up in, in, in getting into the kingdom. And they trust in that instead of trusting in the only one who could reconcile us to God. And that's what Paul is talking about here. It's like, it's almost like the tortoise and the hare. Except it's an even wilder story than the tortoise and the hare. You got the hare who's just kind of going all the energy in the world, right? You know, ah, here he goes, and he's going. He's, there's no way that he can miss this. In fact, so much so that he just kind of chills. He just kind of sits back and kicks back and everything and says, I've got such a head start on, on that tortoise. I, I, you know what? This is good. And you got the tortoise, of course, who's like, you know, uh, you know, slow and steady wins the race and everything. Here's why this is better than this. Because according to Paul, we aren't even racing. Like the tortoise didn't even go. See, what we said. What should we say then? Verse 30. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. We didn't try. <laughs> but look, I mean, but now, you, you say, okay, come on, Paul. There, there are some Gentiles who actually cared about doing the right thing. They actually cared about doing good and so on. That's true. But were they going to the scriptures to get a definition of what it means to be good? Did they go to the scriptures to see what it meant to be right? Did they go to Torah to understand what the righteousness of God entailed or anything like that? By and large, looking at the whole Gentile world, the answer is no, not even close. They, they didn't know. They didn't know what it even meant to pursue righteousness as they're following after other gods and living their own lives and serving their families and doing all of these different things, building their businesses and, and, and even going and, and doing great, awful, vile things and so on. They did all of those things not even having a clue that they were in some way, shape, or form going headstrong in the opposite direction away from God. And yet... He says, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. How do you get it? Uh, well, you need to know what kind of righteousness we're talking about. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued, they were the ones running the race. They were the ones going in this direction. They pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed. In reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. Their trivial pursuit sounds very much like many of our pursuits. I summarize it this way. If we're going to make it to God, if we're going to be found righteous before God, you need to trust, not try. Oh, that's like scratching a chalkboard, isn't it? <laughs> Everything in our culture says try. Try. Try harder. Try, try again. Right? If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's, that's our way. 
in your first season, well, that's okay. Go and try again. Unless you're Kevin Durant, and, and then you go and join the team that beat you and all of that, and then form the super team and win a bajillion games and all that, and then get upset and, and, and leave. And, well, that's a long story. I'm still going to that. But, but if, you, if you don't succeed, try, try again. And, and, and many of us have that mindset. We're stubborn, folk, aren't we? And if something doesn't work, we make it work, right? And that works in business. It may work in your relationship. I mean, I know there's some of you that, you know, your first uh, go-around at fellas at asking your, your lady out, it didn't exactly work the way you planned it. You, you went to her and you said, hey, I was, I was just wondering, are, are, you, are you free to, to go out or something? And she says, no, um, I actually only see you as a friend. And, and there's some of you that, that took that and said, okay, all right, you know, I, I, at least I tried. You know, there are others of you that said, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, right? And, and, and kind of like purple back in the 90s, I'm wearing it down, right? <laughs> it's like, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to get this, you know, I, I, I will have you as my bride if it's my, if it's the last thing that I do. And you try and you try and, and, and probably out of sympathy, she finally said, sure, okay, whatever, it's a free meal. And, and, and that's wonderful because then somehow in the mercy of God, y'all fell in love and got together and you've been happily ever after ever since. That's wonderful. That it works in all of these different areas, but it doesn't work with God. Mm-hmm. Try, try again is not the gospel. Try, try again won't save you. Swapping lists and saying, well, this list didn't work for me, so let me swap in another list and maybe this list will do. And so it's not going to work. You cannot receive the righteousness of God by trying. Trying to work won't work. Notice Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. They looked for it, and they looked for it, and they looked for it, and they couldn't find it. Their answer was, double down. Make it work. Brute force, sheer willpower, will not make you righteous. Can't. Because this is not the road to righteousness. Not only will it not work, it'll actually make you trip. It'll make you trip on a stumbling stone. Look what he says in verse 33, uh, at the end of verse 32, he says, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. And what's Isaiah here? Behold, I am laying inside a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. No. Who's the one that laid the stone? Anybody? God's the one who laid the stone. In other words, God is the one who is ensuring that you can't make it by trying. No. He lays the stone there. He strategically places that stone in a, in a spot where all who are trying to be righteous before God, all who are trying to achieve righteousness with their own works or so on, will come to that stone and trip right over. Now, I'm going to let you in on a, a dirty little secret. This is true confession here. Um, I love watching people trip. Okay? It is the funniest thing on earth. And I try to be sensitive about it. I'll make sure that you, you know, you didn't get a concussion or something like that. But if, if you're good, if you're all right, you might want to fake being injured or something because I'm a laugh. Uh, it's just, I don't know what it is. I remember when I was a little kid, we were coming out of uh, our, our church one Sunday, and, and the, the, the ground was icy and everything. It was, it was after snow and so on. And there was this lady that was in front of me, in her heels and everything. Yes, she was wearing heels. And she had heels. And she walked over, and she caught some ice or whatever. And it was one of those, like, home alone, legs up in the air, you know, type things. I mean, up and wham on the ground. And I'm, I'm in elementary school, and I'm seeing this, and and I made it to the car. 
But once I got in the car, Yeah. 
actual injustices as named in scripture and things like that. You've got folks who are protesting over the wrongful treatment of people. You've got uh, those who are protesting over the wrongful treatment of un the unborn and so on. And, 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 and folks who are trampling on other people's uh, uh, well-being and, and things like that. Sure, you know, there's room to protest and so on. But then you've got protests where you're just sitting back going, are we really protesting this? You know, folks that are protesting over, you know, uh, uh, you know, why should we be doing daylight saving time? Right? Now, granted, I am totally on board with, with all of that. But, but on board enough that I would start a rally to start marching down Raleigh and, 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 and all that. You know, we're going to have our Capitol Boulevard uh, uh, protest over daylight saving time. It just seems like that's not something worth it. But you've got people who are passionate. And all that matters is that you're passionate, right? No. No. They have a zeal. They're passionate. They don't have knowledge. What don't, what don't they know? Verse 3. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Now, he's used that term ignorant, and I don't think ignorant there is saying in the sense that they don't, they don't know, as in they've never heard, or something like that, which we'll find later on in chapter 10. The problem is not that they didn't hear. The problem is that they did hear, and they chose to ignore it. They chose to live as though what they did know didn't exist. So he says they're ignorant of the righteousness of God. They, they have the law. The law itself tells you that you can't do it. You don't agree with me? Go to Deuteronomy 30 sometime and read in Deuteronomy 30 how God says, I will circumcise your heart. I will give you that new heart and so on so that you will love me with all your heart and with all of your soul. I.e., the Deuteronomy anticipates that the people of Israel could not obey God on their own. They could not love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength. They couldn't do it. The law tells them they couldn't do it. And that isn't enough evidence for you. Notice how many sacrificial laws there are in the scriptures. Sacrifices. Why do I need sacrifices? Because you're a sinner. You ever thought about that? There's sacrificial laws in Leviticus and so on. Because you need something to be sacrificed for your sins. The law assumes that you can't keep this. The law does not give you a means for righteousness. The law does not say this is the way that you can be righteous before God. Just keep, just keep trying and have a whole lot of passion. No, that's not what the law says. The law says you can't keep this. And that's why you need something in your Zeal with ignorance won't make you righteous. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. They read the law and completely missed the point. And notice, they sought to establish their own righteousness. And because of that, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They had zeal, but they weren't willing to yield. And there's no righteousness there. Have you ever been at home and maybe you've done this? I know I've done this, and I say this to my shame. Um, have, you, have you ever jumped in? Uh, maybe, maybe I should limit this to parents. Have, have you ever jumped in to a conversation where your spouse was was getting on the kids for something, and and you jumped in and you swore you knew what the conversation was about? <laughs> have you ever done that before? Only to find after a couple of minutes, you have no idea what the conversation is about. Yeah, that's happened to me before. I came in, and I mean, you talk about you know, guns blazing and all that. I'm like, I'm here to save my bride. You know, she needs backup. I got backup, right? You get in there, and you're just like, yeah, that's why you need to be doing this. And I can't believe you're doing this. And see, and another thing, and all of this, and all of a sudden, all of the house is looking at you going, what? Have you ever had that before? Uh, please don't leave me hanging. <laughs> Never had that before? Yeah. And I, I, I had the zeal. I had the passion. Well, I brought the heat that day. I was ignorant. I had no idea what I was talking about. 
And, and eventually I had to be humiliated <laughs> in recognizing that all that zeal didn't amount to anything. In fact, it made me look ridiculous. And that is exactly how we look before God. When we say, but I've got passion. When God clearly tells us where righteousness can be found. Righteousness isn't found in your passion. Righteousness isn't found in your zeal. Where is it found? Verse 4. One more reason why he's praying that they would be saved. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. Now many will read this and they'll say he's the end of the law in the sense that he is the one who puts an end to the law. And certainly there's some room for that theologically, but I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here in this passage. One more time. Notice, Jews pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. They pursued a law, but they did not succeed in reaching that law. Notice the goal language there. They had a goal, and they were striving to attain that goal, and they did not attain that goal. Instead, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it says there. Notice, they have a zeal in 10-2. They have a seal. Verse 3, they're seeking to establish their own righteousness and so on. Again, there's an end destination that they're hoping to get to, but they don't get to it. Notice why. Because the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, verse 4, is Christ. Amen. It's Christ. What is the goal of the law? The goal of the law is to point you to Christ. The goal of the law is to show you that you are not unright, that you are not righteous before God, and therefore you need someone who is more righteous than you to come and take your place. That's the point of the law. The point of the old covenant is to reveal your need for the new covenant. And the new covenant is Christ. He is the one that can change your heart. He is the one that can clothe you with his righteousness. He's the one that can take away your sin. He is the one that can reconcile you to God. He's the one who can be your life and your righteousness and your peace forever. It's only Christ. And that was the point of the law. The law is there to show you that you in your own devices could never please God. You could never amount to anything that would turn his head. But when he sees his beloved son, Living in the righteousness that God required, serving him faithfully and perfectly, and accomplishing all that God demanded in the law, God's head turns. This is the one who said of him, this is my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased. And that one, and only that one, can turn the head of Almighty and Holy God. And when you trust in him, as the law suggests that you do, God will clothe you with his righteousness and he will look upon you and say, my beloved son, my beloved daughter. Not just because he loves you, but even to the more to the point, because he loves Christ in you. Amen. See what's going on here? Israel didn't get it. They didn't get it. But the Gentiles, in the astonishing mercy of God, the Gentiles got it. And that's why they were saved. I can imagine a Gentile looking at their lives and saying, I've worshipped all these false gods, I've committed all these pagan sacrifices, I've been involved in pagan rituals, I've committed all kinds of sins, I'm reading the Bible for the first time and I'm, re I'm realizing I can't check any of these boxes. I am nowhere remotely close to pleasing God. And you tell me that there is one who can be my righteousness? Sign me up. I trust in him. I, I, what, what am I going to offer to him? There's nothing I can offer him. I haven't been living for him my entire life. You can take all of that and flush that down the drain. Give me Jesus. Amen. And yet Israel, looking at all their obedience and saying, we kept the law, we went to the festivals, we did all of these different things. How can you tell me that it doesn't amount to anything? I suggest that they're there are probably some here, I suspect that there are some here who probably are thinking the same way. I just want to show you exactly what Paul says here. Christ is the end of the law for 
righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus is better. Amen. Jesus is better. Why give him your righteousness when you can come before him with Christ's righteousness? Why, why waste your time trying to show that you amount to anything when in Christ you can amount to everything? Why trust in yourself when you can trust in the one in whom the Lord is well pleased? He gives you himself. He says, I can be your Let's give up these trivial pursuits. Trying to win righteousness by trying. Try to win righteousness with zeal. Those are trivial pursuits. They're not going to get you anywhere. Trusting in Jesus. Yielding to his righteousness. That will give you everything. We pray together. Thank you. 